welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Hi there, and welcome again to the Defender Podcast. This is Rick Morton. Today is December the 7th, 2022. Uh, We're almost done with the year 2022. We're approaching Christmas. And so today we've got a special edition of the Defender Podcast for you. I want to take you back to August of this past year to an interview that Herbie did with um, someone who has become a friend to us and, and and a friend to our ministry here at Lifeline named Simon Ben. Um, Simon is an adult adoptee. Uh, He's an adoption advocate in the UK. Uh, He runs a website called Thriving Adoptees uh, and has the Thriving Adoptees podcast um, in the UK. Back in August, Herbie sat down with him for an interview um, and the topic of the interview was the healing power of God. Um, One of the really interesting things about this uh, this podcast and this interview is that uh, our friend Simon is is not a Christ follower, and so he's really um, examining the the claims of Christ and the things that that Herbie talks about with regard to the healing power of God and how that uh, can be manifest um, in in many many ways, but ultimately um, how the work of Christ can be. Uh, manifest in adoption. And so it's really a fascinating conversation that we wanted to share with you. Thought it would be um, thought provoking and also maybe helpful as you're having conversations with friends and family and people over the holidays um, talking about uh, adoption and and talking about uh, the gospel. But before we get there, we want to uh, think about the Advent season. It is Advent. Um, and Lifeline wants to help your family in your celebration uh, in the anticipation of the Christ child. And so we have provided uh, Advent cards that are available to you um, to be able to help you day by day um, walk through the the 25 days leading to Christmas um, and to unfold the story of the coming of Jesus during this Christmas season. Um, there are 25 cards, as I said, they're downloadable, uh, they're free, they have a short Bible devotion and a scripture reference on each card. They're beautifully designed and written for all members of your family to be able to understand. And so you still have time to, to grab those and, and jump in uh, before uh, the Advent season is over. If you'd like to know more uh, about those, you can either go to our show notes or you can go to lifelinechild.org advent I'm sorry, lifelinechild.org backslash advent dash cards. So lifelinechild.org backslash advent dash cards. And we'd love to be able to share those with you as a free download as our gift to you um, in this Christmas season as we um, again focus on the coming of Jesus. So let's turn our attention to um, to this recording, which was uh, first produced back in August of this year when Herbie sat down with our friend Simon Bend um, to talk about uh, the healing power of God and how that's manifest uh, in adoption. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Herb, Herbie, Herbie Newell from uh, from Lifeline down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Herbie has been on the show and has got back in touch about coming back on. And I, I have to say, I'm absolutely delighted that that he did that. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. 
as I said to Herbie before I started recording, I listen back and I don't particularly like listening back to my own voice. You know, I don't think many of us do. Um, uh, and I lost count of the times I said, wow, with the, uh, with the, um, uh, the profundity of what Herbie talked about. So great to have you back uh, on, on the show, Herbie. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, Simon, it was uh, it was such a blessing to be able to have that discussion last time. And I'm just grateful for the platform that you have, for the opportunities that you're providing folks, but but also the the way that you're able to minister in a profound way to this community of both children that have have found home through adoption, but also adoptive parents. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, since. We're just over a year old now. I think we're on something like twenty-three thousand downloads. Seventy percent of those are from the from the US. So people are often surprised about that. Um, but I, I I think the openness that you and your colleagues on the other side of the pond have for this um, really makes my heart sing. So um, it's no wonder that we gained more 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 listeners, more downloads from from the US. So last time we talked uh, a lot about. The, uh, about um, identity, we talked a lot about how how w- none of us see ourselves uh, 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 as as perfect. None of us believe that we're w- that we're we're good enough, and we all have a different reason, a different peg that we hang that kind of um, self deprecation. Is it is that the right kind of word? Um, <laughs> We, we hang that on different pegs and um, adoptees hang it on the, you know, I'm not good enough. And this, well, this is what I did anyway. Um, I, I'm not good enough because I, because I was relinquished by my birth mother. And, and as uh, Shakespeare said, uh, what did he say? Something like um, nothing has any meaning other than the meaning we give it. So the meaning that we give stuff, the meaning, the meaning that I put on uh, adoption for a, uh, for a very brief period in, in my life, kind of took took me down. So I would employ listeners, if you've not listened to that um, uh, that episode with Herbie, I, I'm going to put a link into it um, in the show notes. This one, so you can find it back. But stay listening to this one, uh, and then uh, then have a deep dive. Listen to uh, uh, Herb, Herb again. So what? Because. As somebody that, you know, you use the word ministry, somebody that does this full time, that's been doing it for a long time, your uh, your power, precision uh, and passion for this stuff is uh, immense. As I say, I kept, I kept on losing track of the number of times I said, wow, listening to what you came up with. So today I want to kind of like dive into uh, a, a really interesting discussion from um, a profra- for a, for two people with with a different take on the world a, a profoundly person a profoundly religious person as you, as it, such as yourself and, and, and myself as a, a spiritual guy who wouldn't kind of count uh, count himself as religion so uh, uh, today we're going to be talking about the kind of like the the healing power of god i, I was trying to think, come up with a, a a phrase the healing power of god and um what that's all about and and we're gonna we're gonna try and create a a balance between what this means for adoptees and especially what means uh, what that means to adoptive parents because 
know we have so many adoptive parents listening. So yeah, the healing power of God was something that I came up with as a as because I'm really curious to hear more about that. Um, and I think we can do a, a, a deep dive into that. So what comes to, to mind as you as you hear me with that slightly rambling intro? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, when I think of the reason we're even having this discussion and the reason, Simon, that you have this podcast is because something is profoundly broken with our world. Um, when When we even have children that are vulnerable, women that are forced with hard, difficult decisions. We have children that come into our homes with, with either trauma that preceded our home or trauma that is as a result of, of just trying to figure out this identity of who they are. You know, we, we, I go back to looking at a fallen world, a world where sin has entered in and sin has corrupted uh the the beautiful creation that 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 god made but the beauty of the way i look at it and the way that god brings healing is through his remarkable grace um and you know i see through god's word but then i see even examples in my own life personally but also with friends and others of how the abundant measure of god's grace has completely reoriented and not just reoriented their trajectory, but actually healed them of past trauma, uh, helped them to really be able to, to, to settle some of their unsettledness. So I, I think probably the best example is, is the apostle Paul, a man named Saul who was on the road to Tarsus. And the Bible tells us that he actually was, Breathing out threats is what Acts 8, 1 says, against Christians and against God and against Jesus. And the Bible says that he encountered the Lord on the road uh, to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus. And it profoundly changed his life. It, it, it changed everything about him. You had a bitter uh, man who was angry who was, 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 was taking out that anger that now became a man of grace and mercy, uh, a man that, that you see throughout the New Testament, wrote most of the New Testament with his letters to different churches. And so you see that grace that's so sweet and so amazing that, that changes the trajectory of Saul's life and he becomes Paul. And, and when you really understand that grace, at least for me, I realize how I have failed, how I have fallen short in so many different ways. And yet the belief that I have of God is that instead of me trying to prove myself to God, uh, trying to work my way to, to being accepted by God, when I was unacceptable, God accepted me and gives me sweet, amazing grace, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of his love and his grace and his mercy. And that response in me creates uh, healing. It creates uh, a, a new dynamic and it, it helps, you know, helps me even rearrange my priorities in my life. And I've seen that with even birth families. You know, one of the ministries that, 
we didn't talk about as much last time, but that Lifeline has really grown in is a ministry to families that have lost their kids to foster care. And we have a program called Families Count where we're trying to help these families actually get their kids back out of foster care. So moms and dads, biological moms and dads, trying to reclaim their rights from, from foster care. And I can't tell you how many men and women come into these trainings, come into these mentorships, come into the program, beaten up mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, downtrodden. And the very first thing that we tell these men and these women who have lost their kids, been told they're the problem, been told it's because of their mess ups that their children are in foster care, is we tell them that they are precious because they bear the image of God and that they are created precious, that they are unique, that they have been uh, given giftings, uh, that they are loved. And I'm telling you, from day one, you you take these edgy families who are hurt, traumatized, potentially addicted, and you diffuse the entire room by helping them understand their worth, their value, their dignity, that's intrinsically there because we believe they're made in the image of God. Now, certainly we want to help them understand how their, their choices, their mistakes have contributed to their child being in care, but we want them to understand that there's forgiveness, there's grace, and there's a new start. And so what I believe the greatest gift of God is to help us overcome our trauma and to help us truly heal is the understanding of knowing that we have intrinsic value, not because of what we have and haven't done, but because of who God is, who he's created us to be, and how he's redeemed us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we see these families start to understand that, we've seen remarkable things happen. And and right now, after helping well over a thousand families be reunified to their children, we are seeing 80% of those families thrive and survive after being reunited that, you know, over 800 families now have gotten their children out of foster care and are walking with those kids uh, in and in, in, in thriving. And so I believe there is healing and I even not to ramble, but go down to the adoptive family that might be listening that maybe has a child that that's lived in a traumatic past or, or is dealing with things. Uh, we have been given tools and we have uh, things at our disposal that will actually help children that will help teenagers uh, that will help adults, you know, really understand who they are, who they were created to be and will help them be able to, to overcome trauma. Now, Again, I, I don't I don't want to be too simplistic, right? So this doesn't mean that that it all disappears and everything's just uh, you know smiley and 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 you know and uh, <laughs> joyful, but it does give us a place where we can start to see healing and the brain. And I believe God made the brain. He He, he made the whole system. It is a remarkable thing the brain and the way it has. And we can truly see through therapy and through other things, uh, the brain truly be rewired so that, that, that individuals can overcome trauma, can overcome hurt and pain 
and be able to live healthy, uh, productive lives. Yeah. Wow. I've done, I've, have I told you about, have I, t- have I shared my, uh, it's not my metaphor, it's somebody else's metaphor, but I've shared the, the, the diamond metaphor. Have I shared you with that? I'd love to hear it, yeah. Diamond metaphor. It's a pretty simple one, right? So we're doing this on um, on, on Zoom, listeners. So I'm, I'm holding up my clenched fist to the screen, okay? And, and I, did I do this yesterday? I think I did, but I, I, I love it, so I'm going to do it again. Um, so the clenched fist represents um uh, represents anger uh, you know mm-hmm. trauma often comes out uh, 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 as anger uh, you know and it, it has in it has in definitely in, in my life um uh, anger to uh, I, anger coming from fear anger coming from insecurity that that's fear and anger are very close close cousins they often come together so we've got this i'm 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 shaking this fist in anger and if but uh, and and the the amber the so it's a metaphor for for anger however in inside i'm now opening my fingers up and inside i've got a i've got a, a glass diamond it's not a real diamond it's just a glass piece of diamond there, a glass diamond i got from amazon for seven seven quid so eight nine bucks right and that's the perfection of who we truly are so underneath underneath all these traumatic feelings underneath all this all these traumatic thoughts underneath this sense of not being good enough is the perfection of who we truly are now that that's how i see it as a kind of uh, from a, a from a, as a spiritual non-religious guy and it sounds to me that what you're saying from a religious point of view is pretty much exactly the same in just different just different words um what one a religious line and one a non-religious line and it sounds to me that what happened to saul who became paul was he saw that so he was on his way to damascus and i remember hearing that story from you know i went to a a, um, a protestant school church of england school and we did there were bible readings every morning so we heard this stuff um that it, it, he he had that he had that transformation and he went from the anger and then after and, and that was pretty much instantaneous was it mm-hmm. yeah oh, yeah so for so the instant change instantaneous change in him led him to do great stuff and mm-hmm. before we were talking before we um started recording we were talking about um Malta so my parents used to, we used to go to Malta when we were a kid in uh, when I was a kid uh, and so did you know that there's a St Paul's Bay in Malta mm-hmm. and that's where St Paul apparently landed or mm-hmm. some story but anyway that's just a quick aside the key thing is that what we're talking about here is an instantaneous almost magic like I don't know. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's being uh, disrespectful to religion by saying magic. You, you, you use the word remarkable, right? So, so we're talking about a remarkable instantaneous change in how Paul Saul see the world, saw the world and became Paul. And we've got this world that says that change is hard, and yeah, it, it is. It is hard, and and it takes a long time. Well, yeah, maybe it does take a long time. 
But it all starts with that catalyst moment. And, and that happens very quickly. And for me, there is the hope. So we've got this, you know, you talked about a, a broken world. We're talking about a world that says that change is hard. Well, it, it doesn't sound like it was hard for Saul to become Paul. It wasn't hard, was it? It was it's something that happened. He, he went from this angry guy to this apostle. Um, and so that's the hope. And, 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 and we were talking about before that um, like the, the, the spiritual side of healing to me ha- bears f- far more kind of instantaneous hope than the psychological side. And you talked about rewiring of the brain. And, um, and have, you read, uh, have you read Bruce Perry and Oprah's book, um, What Happened to You? It's about, it's about trauma. So, I know some of our social workers have, yeah. Read it, yeah. Um, I'm hoping it gets a bit more positive because I'm half the way in. Uh, and every, every he, he goes, he talks about trauma, 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 and it's bad news, bad news, bad news. And every now and again, he drops in a little kind of, and, but of course, the brain will rewire the neuroplasticity of the brain, as you've discussed, that will all happen. And then he goes back to the dark stuff. So I'm hoping that he gets a bit more. I hope he follows up with these kind of like the little promises that he's dropping in. But um, the, 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 the key message of your key message of the intrinsic value and my key message of the, of the, of the, 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 the value of, of the diamond seem to be aligned and what what you're doing in your ministry is helping people see that uh and that's i guess what what i'm hoping you know that that's what i'm trying to do too is people to see beyond our behavior beyond our feelings beyond the thoughts that drive those feelings Beyond our f- false sense of self to who we true, uh, f- our false sense of self, perhaps our personality, because that changes as well, to the the essence of of, of who we are, uh, and as perhaps as you may say, you know, like um, made in the image of God. Yeah, and you know, I, I love your your diamond analogy, you know, because life is remarkable. Uh, human life is remarkable. When you think of all the facilities, the the brain power that we have, the abilities that we have, um, you know, no matter what worldview we come from, we have to see that human beings are are head of creation, right? There, there, there's no other created being that is like the human being with the ability to not just think not just process, not just move, but also to feel powerful emotions. Uh, you know, we can feel the depth of pain. We can feel the depth of emotion and joy. And, uh, you know, the, 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 that we are not just, you know, uh, existing, but that we're feeling things physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And, and we have been created, like you said, like, like that diamond. But also, we talk about this all the time within our ministry, you know, the difference between expectation and reality is disappointment. 
when that reality is less than our expectation. And when that happens, we fill the space with fear. Uh, well, what's going to happen now? Well, the fear of the unknown, uh, you know, what, how, will I, how will I be able to meet the expectation? How will I be able to get to the expectation? And we, we are an expectant being where we're, we're constantly expecting what, what the next thing will be. And when our reality doesn't meet, we grow fear. And, and that fear always roots into anger. And, and I totally agree with you, Simon. The root of all anger is fear. When you, when you look at it, um, it's, it's because we, one, we lack control or we're fearful of what the next thing will be. Uh, we, we feel like we aren't able to, to really to emotionally be able to settle in that moment or to, to be fulfilled. And, and we have a fear of, will I ever be filled? Will I ever be satisfied? And, and that lack of satisfaction, that, that lack of the unknown creates great fear, which can manifest itself in, in great anger. And, and I think at the, again, coming from the worldview that I have, the lens that I have as being a Christ follower, the only satisfaction that I have to the unknown is knowing that I serve a God that I believe is, is in control, even through the messy, even through the hard, even through the unknown, I know that, that he is in control and uh, that, that, that he is going to be the greatest expectation. And, you know, any expectation that I have here will, will always fail to compare to the expectation that I have of, of this father. You know, I have, I have three children and there's expectation that, that they have of me. And I let them down continually. I don't meet every need that they have. There are times when I'm certainly not as tender or graceful or kind as I should be. Uh, there are times when, you know, I'm, I'm probably much too proud and arrogant. Uh, there are times that uh, I for sure have, have lorded over them and have, have just told them we'll do this because I said it and didn't listen to them. And yet I continually want to point my children to a God that says he is the father to the fatherless, that he is our father, uh, that he is, he is the perfect father. And to show them that through my inadequacies, there is a father that is, is much, much better and is much more secure and is much more consistent, perfectly consistent, perfectly secure. And that I am hopefully living out a glimpse of what that father may look like. In, in a sense, I want them to know that they're, I hope that they can find a view of God in me and I think they can because we bear the image of God, but it's, it's like looking at your reflection in a broken mirror, right? You see glimpses of your reflection, but it's broken. And so, you know, we live in a broken, fallen world, but yet, and this is what I think helps us in our fear. This is what helps us in our trauma. This is what helps us in our understanding is when we look at even the image bearers of God, we see, yes, an imperfect but we can see glimpses of 
the reality of, of who God is because human beings bear his image. And so going back even to your diamond illustration, right? God created us to be these perfect diamonds, but, but our fear, our resentment, our, our, our failings, our sin, our trappings have, have hidden that diamond. But that diamond is going to shine through because that's the very essence and the image of God that he's placed upon humanity. And I think we've got to help people understand, you know, in any worldview, first, that there's intrinsic value in, in human life. There's intrinsic value in, in who they are and, and ultimately uh, help point them to reality that their circumstances don't have to define their future. Their failings, their trappings, their hurts, their pain does not have to define their future. Uh, and that's hard work. It's, it's, not, it's not easy, but it's necessary. And what it, really, what it really means we have to do is we have to be intentional. We have to be relational. We can't treat people like projects but we have to really invest in them and, and be willing to, to go through the messy, to go through the hard and to go through the difficult. Yeah. Uh, well, wow. Again, yeah. Um, the, the, the couple of things that you said about that, that stood out for me is the security and settling. So you, you use those two words, the, the, you know, security, uh, security in God and, and settling. And you talked about also talked about a, a lack of control. So um, just a quick one on that. I heard a lovely say, a lovely saying this morning, um, somebody was talking about God being his, his, uh, you know, you know, people say, has he got a plan? And um, the, this guy, the guy that I name checked last time, Rupert Spira said, yeah, um, God's not. A, he's, he's he's more of a jazz musician than a classical musician, right? So the classical mu- musician will have their music, and then they're going to read through it. You know, they're going to read the music, and they're going to play their instruments, whatever. Whereas um, uh, God is a uh, is a um, uh, an innovator. Um, what's the word? Uh, he he. He's making it up as he goes along um, to a certain extent. He knows all the rules that the classical, the classically trained jazz musician knows how to paint by numbers and then creates his own masterpiece through innovation and uh, improvisation. So that was a quick aside, but if I would take you back to the kind of, Oh yeah. Sorry. Another thing on name checking it, 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 the the diamond metaphor, I just tweak it slightly. It comes from a guy called Michael Neal. So I want to give um, I want to give a, a, a fellow um, American chap called Michael Neal. So I want to give him full credit for that. Uh, so yeah, settling. If we what would for me, it sounds like we're settling into the space and the comfort and we're settling into our lack of control because God's got a, a, a plan that he's improvising for us. 
as we go. Does that, that sound like any, making any sort of sense at all? Yeah, I understand what you're saying for sure. I, I think, again, my worldview would be that God isn't improvising. He is secure, right? So he is who he says he is. And again, you know, there's a lot of ways that people try to describe, you know, how in the world did we get on this round ball that's perfectly situated from the sun that goes around the sun? It gives us perfect light. It gives us perfect heat. The The gravitational pull is just great. Is that happen chance? Was it a big bang? What was it? And I, I, my belief is it, it was a creator God who was in the beginning and who spoke it into existence. But if we believe that, that the creator created, we also believe that he transcends time, um, that, that he's not confined like we are to the, to the space of time and continuum that we are. And so we see things very linear. They, it's a progression. Uh, and so we're, we're const, constantly improvising because we don't know what tomorrow holds and we're trying to learn the lessons of yesterday. But, but God is a constant uh, he's, he's a true North. He's, he's always in the same direction. He's always consistent to who he is, to his goodness, uh, to his mercy, to his grace, to his holiness. And, and really, you know, again, from my worldview and from what I, I believe consistently, and I, I've seen borne out in my life and the life of others is, is that when we can, truly understand the goodness of God, but also the, the steadiness and steadfastness of God, it gives us the true north. It gives us the anchor to know that when things seem out of control, when, when, when things seem, uh, you know, like, like, I don't know what's going to happen, that, that we have a place of great faith, of great trust. Um, and, And since we started with Paul, I'll go back to Paul. You know, Paul famously said, um, you know, I've been through many sleepless nights. I've been through shipwreck. I've been through famine. Uh, I've been in want. I've been in danger through many sleepless nights, through many perils. Uh, You know, Paul and and Barnabas were preaching in one city and and the people actually took them to a cliff uh, and tried to stone Paul to, to, to kill him. And he gets up. And instead of running away and going the rest direction, he goes in the next city and preaches the gospel. Um, here's a guy that, that, that literally followed God, had his road changed on the road to Damascus, and yet he goes through a life of suffering and trial. And yet, all in all, Paul's thesis of his life is found in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is great gain. Um, and so he was a guy that just didn't seem to be able to, once he came to Christ, to, to be phased, right? He, he had this steadiness. And I believe that steadiness is from having that, 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 that realization that God was constant, his, his character was constant. And so in a world of constant change that we live in and unexpected uh, opportunities and the, and the things that happen, our trauma our hurt, our pain wants us to grab for control of our own life, to try to control our own destiny. And, and we do that because we don't want to be hurt anymore. 
We don't want to open ourselves up to potential hurt, to potential disappointment, to the potential that our expectations won't be met again. Uh, we we don't we want to be known for who we truly are. We don't want to be misunderstood. You know, um, even the most type A, you know, dominant person at the end of the day, deep down in the core of their heart, they do not want to be misunderstood. We have a want not to be misunderstood. And so what trauma and pain starts to do is it, it closes us into ourselves because we don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to be hurt. And, and even sometimes people who have been traumatized or have been hurt, um, we know that unfortunately, one of the, the greatest characteristics of child abusers are those who have been abused themselves because they start to inflict the pain upon someone else. It's a protective mechanism. And that's, that's not exonerating them of, of the abuse. It's just, it's showing that abuse perpetrates abuse, that, that, that hurt perpetrates more hurt because it becomes self-protective. But when we see that we have a God who is solid, steadfast, in control, unchanging, there is no, the, the, the word of God says there's no variation um, like, like shifting light. He is steady. He is secure. He is the true North. Then we can open ourselves up to what, what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow will hold, holds, but I know who holds the future. And I have that security of knowing who holds the future. And I think when we can help children who've been adopted, when we can help kids in foster care, when we can help people that are, that are walking around with baggage and trauma, know there is absolute truth. There is a true north. There is a God who is steady and steadfast and does not change and who is there is no variation in. That can give us truly great hope of knowing that. And two, then the grace that I believe of the gospel of Christ Jesus, it says, I don't have to then prove myself to him to be accepted by him. I have to rest in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect life and he died the death that I deserve in order that I can have, as Hebrews says, direct access to God. And I can know that I am in the will of God because... I rest in the grace of Christ Jesus, and that's my true north. So um, that, knowing who holds the future, and knowing that I'm not in control, but I know the one who is in control, helps me to open myself up, because I, I look and go, what can man do to me? What can man say to me if, if, if I find my worth and my dignity in that diamond that God created me to be? And I shine in order to be a reflection of him, showing grace, love, care to humanity, to other humans, then, then, then I, I don't worry about what the future holds. And last thing, and, and then I'll let you respond, but you know, th- there was a, a teacher of the law that came up to Jesus as recorded um, in, in the four gospel accounts and he says to Jesus, and, and, it, and it says that the writer uh, of Matthew says, or you know, Matthew, the tax collector, says he was doing it to test Jesus. And he said, what's the greatest commandment? And, and really, he was probably look, you know, looking back at those 10 commandments and going, hey, there are 10 laws. Which one's the greatest? And Jesus comes and says, well, well, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, if you do that, then the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the true ideal of a Christ follower and of a Christian 
is someone that is so enamored with their entire fiber of their being, with their heart, their mind, and their soul with God, that they don't see people as projects. They don't see people as something to uh, run over. They don't see their agenda as something to force, but they start to love humanity better even than they love themselves because they see that humanity was created by their God and that humanity bears the image, that diamond of, of, of the way that God created them to be. Yeah. I heard somebody, I heard something, um, this, again, this Rupert Spire guy talked about, um, I, St. Augustine, who said something like, know thyself, love thyself, and do as as you will, something like that. Um, does, do, maybe you remember it more precisely than, than that. But it, it, it's essentially seeing, seeing uh, ourselves as diamonds, seeing everybody else as diamonds and treating them accordingly, I think is kind of a, um, how it breaks it down. And that was, you know, and, and the, 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 Shai, the guy Rupert Spira says, if you do all that, you don't need the commandments because you would, well, you um, what did, what's one of them? Cover cover thy thy neighbor's wife, is it? If I remember correctly. So if you if you if you get the essence of what you're saying, um, or you know of, of, of what um, Jesus said in in Matthew, if you get the essence of what Saint Augustine said, then that's enough. That 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 that's enough. Everything else follows on from from those fundamentals um mm. and, and all the security flows from that mm. yeah and just to make sure i quoted it right i knew i knew the quote you're talking about but i looked it up real quick so this is what augustine says he says wherefore if you ought not to love even yourself for your own sake but for his in whom your love finds its most worthy object no other man has a right to be angry if you love him too, for God's sake. Um, and that's, that's neighbor love in its very essence that, that we love others for the sake of God. And again, to show them a glimpse and a reality of who the creator of their soul and who a creator of their life truly is. Now I know for those who, who may come from a, a sec- more secularistic agnostic worldview that that sounds very poetic and it sounds very hopeful. Uh, but the question is, is it reality? And, you know, we're always searching for something. And the hymn writer says, we find that search and that searching in the creator of our souls in the creator of who we were to be. And even if we don't realize it, we're searching for God and we're searching for something like greater. Like what, how did we get here? What is the meaning of our existence? That's, that's what we're wondering. And, and as a believer, as a Christian, I find a settled to say, I'm here because God created me. He created me for his glory. 
and he created me to love others the way that he has loved me. And if we as Christians, and so I'm, I'm, I'm even talking to fellow Christians that might be listening, if we would love others the way God loves us, we would not have as much trauma and hurt and pain. It, it would still exist because we live in a fallen world. But, but we certainly wouldn't have the identity crises that we have. We wouldn't have the, the, the pain if we truly loved others the way that God loves us. Can, can you hear the doves barking in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you, uh, I was going to press mute and you were going to go on a little bit more. Um, it's so funny, isn't it? Um, that uh, I, I, It's so funny. It, make, it makes me laugh all the time, the profundity of, of this sort of stuff and then the logistics of dog sparking. You know, it's, we're living in, we're living in the, we're living in the real, the real world here. Um, I'm conscious of time. Um and I think what you just said there was so deep. I don't, I, I don't think we can, I don't think we can um, top that. Uh, I did have one question actually, which was about this is this is my this is my 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 take, and I'd be interested in your take on my take, which is as uh, as a as adoptive parents or as anybody that's in a, you know, anybody that deals with other people, right. But especially adoptive parents, the clearer. So my view is that the clearer we can see this stuff for ourselves, the better our chance at pointing it out to our children so that they see it too. Right. So this is, this starts with us. In the same way as like emotional intelligence starts with us, you know, if you, you read a book on it, I read a book on emotional intelligence years ago, and it started off with self, started off with self awareness. Um, and I would say the self that we're talking about here is is the self of the diamond, not our personality, not just mm. our behavior. Mm. And, and and from a religious point of view, you know, the the, uh, the self as the child of God. Mm. That's from 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 a, a religious perspective. So, the the better, we, the clearer we can see this stuff for the cells and to ourselves, the better we're going to be able to point point uh, point at it, so our children see it, see what see what we're pointing at, hear what we're saying, um, and can get their heads around this stuff for themselves. What what would you make of that? Yeah. Wow, a lot to unpack there, but you know, I think the greatest thing that a fam a parent can do um, is to be present with their children and to hear them and to listen to them. <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of times we hear, but we don't really listen. So I'm even guilty of this and, and my children and my wife will laugh at me because uh, they say one of my quotes is, well, I hear you, but, which means I heard you, but I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, 
And I think as parents, we need to give our children the opportunity to express what they're thinking, what, what, what their fears are, um, you know, what, what, what emotions that they're feeling, maybe pain, uh, doubts, worries, anxiety. And we need to seek to understand that, but we don't always have to validate it. So we can help them understand maybe where they can place their hope or how maybe their understanding is being shaped by something that's not reality. And so I feel like we sometimes go in one of two directions and there's really a a, a tension between the two. We can either validate everything and validate every, you know, irrational emotion and irrational feeling by just going, okay, well, well, I don't want to, I don't want to disagree with you. Or we can swing to the other pendulum of just dismissing every feeling, um, every hurt, every pain, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a tension there that really as adoptive parents, we can help our children process. They want to be listened to. They want to be heard. Uh, they want to be understood. Don't we, don't we all? Don't we want to be understood? Um, and, and we let them be understood. But then in a loving, kind, gentle way, we help them understand true reality. Um, an analogy that, that I've given my children at times and and I don't, I don't want to name them, but, but one of my children, uh, I, I had caught them in difficult behavior. And my child said, you know, well, well dad, I feel like, <laughs> I felt like you were going to be so frustrated with me when you realized that I had done this. And, and I said, no, I, I'm not. And, and, and this child said, well, you're always telling me not to do something like this. And I did it. And I figured that because you told me so many times not to do this, that, that you, would, you would just be so furious and angry. And, and I said to my child, I said, it's like this. If, if you see a child running into the road and a car is coming, a car they don't see that's going to hit them, you're going to be very emphatic to your child to stop. Do not run into the road or you are going to get hit by a car. Now, once my child has entered into the road and he gets hit by the car, if, 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 if by God's grace, they're not killed, but they're just hurt. My response as a loving parent is not going to go look at my child and fuss at them for not listening to me to say, stop. A loving parent is going to stoop down, pick my child up and run to the closest place to receive help, to try to help that child, to love that child and to get healing for that child. And in that analogy with our children, we need to hear them. We need to give them warning. But when life has brought its, it, the truck, the car, and it's hit them, and it's leaving them broken and hurting, we need to listen to them. We need to hear where it hurts, right? In that same analogy, if my child is going, Dad, it hurts. I can't move. Well, I probably am not going to scoop them up because I don't want them to be paralyzed. I'm going to make sure we get some, something that's helpful. you got to listen, and you got to understand. But if later my child says, well, I feel like I got hit because you pushed me. If that's not a reality, then I need to sit right and go, no, I didn't push you. I told you to stop. But we've got to love our children in their hurt. We've got to understand where it hurts. We've got to understand the reality. But we've also got to set what's true, what's real. Uh, And and we've got to help them to perceive that reality. And Simon, I 
I see that analogy even of of a child not going into a to the road and then get struck by a car. When people say, "Well, I don't understand the love of God. Why is God? He seems like he's so." you know, bitter with all these rules and all these regulations. And, and you look at the old Testament and it it seems like law and judgment, law and judgment. Why, why, why? And I see it instead as a loving father who doesn't want his children to get hurt, who doesn't want his children to get hit by that car and to, to be hurting. But the whole Bible taken as a narrative brings in the new Testament. When we are in the road, bloody, beaten, bruised, and broken. And God in his mercy comes to us and he says, I love you, my child, and I want to heal you and I want to make you whole. And, and that, in a nutshell, is the reflection we need to be to our children, warning them, giving them direction, giving them encouragement. But when they're hurting and when they've been run over, we need to hear them. We need to understand their feelings. We need to understand their hurt, but we still need to push them to where truth is. And And I think as parents, we've been called to both truth and to love. And love without truth is no love at all, right? If 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 I love you, and and, you know, silly example, but my wife many times because I I do do some public speaking, or I'm with folks that that you know I'm I'm telling about the ministry. If I have just eaten a salad and have a piece of lettuce in on my teeth, she goes, "Hey, you got lettuce on your teeth now." If I say, how do I look? And she goes, she thinks the loving thing is to say, oh, you look great because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, I'm going to make a fool of myself if I have a big piece of lettuce in my tooth. But she loves me so much that she's going to be truthful, even when that truth may hurt me a little bit or may embarrass me a little bit. On the other hand, truth without love is is hurtful. It's bitter. It's resentful. It, it, It doesn't show any caring. So I can speak truth, and if I speak it without love, then, then I'm just hurtful. I, I, I'm, I'm not doing, but there's a tension between truth and love. And again, as a, as a follower of Christ, um, as a Christian, I see that God is the embodiment of both truth and love. He, he gives truth, but it's in love. He gives love out of truth. And I, and I think that's what our children need. They need our unconditional love, but they also need us to speak truth. Powerful, very powerful. Thanks a lot, Herbie, and thank you to listeners. Um, another awesome episode. So, just a quick reminder: go check in the show notes, listen to Herbie's uh, last podcast from last year, um, and uh, and link. Check out the, the links there to to what Lifeline are all about and, and what they're doing on social. And um, thank you very much. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you listeners thank you Herbie and we will speak to you very soon bye bye thank you well thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast if you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe rate and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find for more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.